Okay, pasa, mufasa, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Micopreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Walker, and today we've got one of my favorite people in the game back on the podcast. He was an early guest of Micopreneur Podcast over two years ago, none other than Mr. Colin Wells, founder and director of Veterans Walk and Talk. Dennis, I'm one of the only people you'll know that has hotboxed like a $1.2 million military vehicle. <laughs> I remember I was just scared shitless. I could be bombed at any minute. I could get in trouble. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. Why am I doing this? I've been very fortunate to connect with the Veterans Walk and Talk community on several occasions in my hometown of San Diego. And I've also participated in a panel with Colin at the Oakland Psychedelic Conference. And I also want to shout out our sponsors, Microboost, M-Y-C-R-O-B-O-O-S-T. You already know, making gummies and coffees and all kinds of functional mushroom products that I personally use, that I'm personally traveling with overseas right now. So shout out to Microboost for sponsoring the podcast. And please consider rating and reviewing this podcast episode wherever you're listening. Without further ado, let's get down to business. Yes, sir. K Pasa Mufasa. Welcome back. Colin Wells, the one and only Colin Wells, founder of Veterans Walk and Talk. Also one of the first Micropreneur podcast guests, you'll recall, about two years ago and change. Welcome back to the podcast, Colin. How are things today in snowy Lake Arrowhead? Uh, thank you, Dennis. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back on with you, man. I've been big fan of everything you've been doing lately. And uh, yeah, we're good. Like I said, we got a macro dose of snow out here and it's uh, it's definitely you know, bruising my ego a little bit, but we're dealing with it. Well, I want to start off talking about a piece that I read that you wrote for, for inoculatetheworld.com. Wonderful website, right? And it's straight up wonderfully, uh, beautifully executed gonzo style journalism. Then you're writing about going to the dentist on two grams of albino penis envy mushrooms. And first of all, I just want to say excellent, excellent piece truly engaging. Second of all, is going to the dentist high on mushrooms or like any other ordinary tasks? Like, do you have other stories like that? Or was that a unique phenomenon that you just like decided to go to the dentist? Um, you know, I, I try to preach responsibility with psychedelics, but I would be lying to you if I said that wasn't my only uh, occasion out in the world doing some shit I shouldn't be doing on psychedelics. Um, yeah, that that's, I wouldn't advise anybody doing that. That was, um, I don't know, an extenuating circumstance. I don't want to make any excuses for myself. I just wanted to try it. (laughs) So I, I, yeah. I think you're in good company. There's plenty of people recreationally doing things. I myself have been to Disneyland while on mushrooms. And, you know, this conversation came up recently. I think we like to differentiate between, like, if you're brand new to this, definitely don't do that. If, you know, you maybe have some experience in those realms, there's plenty of us who have uh, access, you know, use mushrooms at the dentist and whatnot. Although I don't think I personally have, but <laughs> I just wanted to say, I, I, I hope we see more of that style of writing from you, man, because that lens, that perspective you bring is so awesome and I'm a big fan. So thanks for that contribution. So, of course, man. Now I want to ask about... Uh, with the Veterans Walk and Talk community. I've been fortunate to come out to a couple of events, right? We did a sweat with Shane. I, w- I would love to you know, do that again sometime and been on Veterans Walk and Talk walks in San Diego area. How has the community evolved in the last couple of years? Because you, know, you, you started off with just a few people. Now you've got a ton of people. You've got multiple chapters. So you know, what are some of the ways that Veterans Walk and Talk has evolved even in the two years since we did our first podcast? 
Yeah, man. I can't believe it's been two years. Uh, yeah, you know, the, these medicines like mushrooms, cannabis, LSD, all these these things, they really are like catalysts for community. And like they are the they're these great unifying um, entities out in the world that bring people together. And I have never made any apologies about what Veterans Walk and Talk is. Is to, it's I I offer these things to the to the people as bait to get them to come and join the community and um, be part of something bigger than themselves. And then also try um, a, a, a modicum of psychedelics within a, a safe um, environment with people who are you know, who go to the dentist on mushrooms, who have experience with all kinds of shit. So um, it's evolved to a, a place I never could have imagined. Um, you know, we're offering so many underground psychedelic treatments now that, you know, I get scoffed at by some and then applauded by on others. And that's the nature of the beast. Uh, but we've helped a lot of people. And um, it, it's just, it's crazy to see that uh, just a simple, you know, going out for a hike with some mushrooms and some cannabis can 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 do and bring people together. Totally, man. And I wanted to ask you about how you feel about veterans being in many ways at the heart of this agenda to legalize and normalize psychedelic therapies. It's something that unites both sides of the political aisle, right? Even very conservative elements of the military or government are seriously considering psychedelic therapies. But also in many ways, it's still within a very state-controlled, tightly regulated framework. And I see your approach as being more of direct action and like helping people now, helping people here. So I just think like, we've talked about this before, but sometimes veterans are even used as a political tool, right? Uh, what are your overall feelings about sort of the movement towards legalization and having veterans be at the heart of that in many ways? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, when, when you're a combat veteran like myself who lost guys in combat, and then you come back to the, to the States and you lose twice as many by their own hand to suicide and drug overdoses, you have to take direct action. There's no other choice. Like I, I had to do something. I, if I, I, and I'm still losing guys. I lose guys every other month. It seems like. Um, so, you know, the veteran issue is, um, like you said, can can cross party lines. And myself, for many years, I even before psychedelics became very mainstream, so to speak. You know, I was at House committee meetings in Washington D.C. with Rick Doblin and Brian Murescu and people like that talking about cannabis and trying to, to push that agenda. And that was when I first started to realize that uh, veterans are very much like low hanging fruit for the political system to kind of be plucked when they're needed and then put back on the shelf or canned if you want to keep the fruit references going um, for later use. And uh, the one thing that I'm seeing within the veteran psychedelic movement, that's, that's great. And I'm obviously a big part of it. Um, is that it, it's becoming like elitist almost like navy seals special operations like white dudes white dudes white dudes these are the guys getting this treatment when there is so many other veteran people who need this kind of um kind of access and treatment and should be put on on the forefront of what it means to be a veteran because there's so much more than just pulling triggers uh when it comes to being a veteran um so yeah i you know, I myself have taken a step back as far as politics go because I was really sick of just feeling like a whore um, and like, you know, just uh, 
it's like they they put all this agenda on you like they say go talk about how psychedelics help you which i could do till the cows come home but then in 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 the end there's a some kind of hidden motive within the legislation that maybe doesn't even ring true with you but if you're not doing the due diligence to uh research these things and know exactly what you're getting yourself into then you can end up telling your story and in the meantime helping a political agenda you don't necessarily align with and that's kind of what i found myself falling into was like i was on these phone calls with city council and you know going to city council meetings and and it just never went anywhere and then i felt like i was being used and the other side to it is uh you know psychedelics and these spiritual inward journeys for people that have seen atrocities and committed violence and seen war crimes and and killed people and watched their friends die if these things aren't being used to pull back on that and say hey no this isn't right we can't be doing this anymore no more war no more no more fighting no more violence if they're not being used for that aspect and they're simply being used to make the guy who killed 20 people feel okay with himself then it it's being disserviced so there's there's that acceptance of taking life that you have to deal with as a as an infantryman as a navy seal whatever and that is definitely something that needs to be processed but the other side of the coin is that these things will make people more peaceful more loving more more one with the world and everything and that's that's the crux of psychedelics and i see a lot of like the military industrial complex and you know governmental agencies want to take wanting to take the psychedelic out of psychedelics and just you know make people be okay but people are not going to be okay unless the society changes in the ways that it needs to got to stop creating wars stop creating trauma stop stop the generational bullshit that's been going on for as long as we know breach absolutely couldn't agree more so we've talked about this next subject as well and even pitched around some ideas for a satirical skit around it, but about VA treatments, right? Veterans Affairs Office and your part of your story is that you were going to the VA, you were doing everything you were supposed to do, which is something you hear from a lot of veterans, right? It's like you kind of did the established protocol and it didn't work out so well. And so what do you think about this idea of like the VA potentially administering or being involved with offering psychedelic therapies. Would you personally ever get a psychedelic therapy from the Veterans Affair Office? Uh, for healing, if I was really in need of some kind of healing, no, no way. For the experience and for the gonzo journalistic nature that I fall into, absolutely. I would want to know what the fuck is going on in there. But um, it's, a, yeah, it's scary, man. Like the VA, like, taking on psychedelics when it can't even house the veterans that it has or or give you know simple just courtesy of like knowing people's names when they come to the clinic or in my own case i'm dealing with some you know health issues getting older now and stuff and you know it takes me months and months to just get a doctor's appointment so i i i am very weary and and um, nervous about what it means to have VA psychedelic assisted therapy. Um, I think that the the VA and people that are looking to do this kind of work would do better to empower the people like myself and Heroic Hearts and all these other organizations that are actually out here already doing the work, not to mention the countless underground psychedelic facilitators 
that are, you know, doing amazing work, um, it would be better to see them empowered to do what they're doing out in the open and not have to be outlaws. I'm an outlaw for what I do, basically. And uh, I would rather see that than um, have to go to a nurse practitioner who did three months training to give me ketamine in my eyeballs and hope that my PTSD goes away. Damn, that sounds intense. Ketamine in the eyeballs, man. Is it like a like an injection or more like a liquid or, you know, there are probably multiple ways to do it. What you do is you get like your wife or your, or your kid, your kid is cool, and uh, put a bunch of ketamine in the palm and then you have them blow it into your eyes. Yeah. And then you're good to go. And then you'll right. store some in the beard. So you'll just be cruising around with ketamine for a while, dude, just at, at your disposal. Yo, so do you ever... <laughs> You know, another thing that people don't know about you necessarily is that you have a background in acting a little bit, right? Or you were involved with theater growing up. Is that something that you ever want to return to potentially as like writing for stage or being involved to some degree either? You know, we've talked about this too, but like that whole side of you, the writing, the kind of having the theatrical background, do you see that coming back into play for you in, the, in some time in the future? I 100% do. And that's when I'm at my happiest, when I'm writing things like the Dennis piece or or performing or making reels on Instagram. To be perfectly honest, as a little therapy session here, my role as Veterans Walk and Talk's founder and leader, in my own way, kind of put this like um, weight on me that I had to like be very like serious and take care of people and make sure, you know, that I'm showing my vulnerabilities so that people can then be vulnerable with the group and want to try our treatments and things like that. And I kind of lost sight of that hard edge, you know, not to mention, you know, people are out for anyone's throat who makes the wrong joke. So, you know, I, I grew up in the Groundlings Theater, which is like the premier comedy mecca of the, of the country. And I saw comedians come from the very bottom and watch my mother nurture them into absolute stars. And they never held back. And it wasn't, no one had phones and people weren't getting canceled left and right for making jokes. People could actually laugh at a Mel Brooks movie. Um, so, you know, I've, I've felt that weight of like psychedelics are so serious. It's such a, it's such a, it's such a funny thing that we're doing and it's gotta be taken so carefully and everything. But like when I make little funny microdose videos or write about going to the dentist on mushrooms, like, absolutely. That is when I'm at my best and that's when I'm my, my happiest. And, that is definitely something that I'm gonna be nurturing. Hell yeah, man, I agree to the fullest. Just for me, the principle of what I do, I try to make it come from a place of authenticity where if I think something's funny and it like gets me going, that that's kind of enough confirmation for me. And it seems to be working so far, but I also share your, your I, I'm aware that, especially when you're in a position of leadership, like you're heavily scrutinized and you have to wear a lot of hats too, which is another thing we've talked about. We were on stage together in Oakland as part of the Oakland Psychedelic Conference. And I asked you about how you put up boundaries because you're you know, giving of yourself as a community leader and a steward of veterans and stuff. But at the same time, like you have your life, you have your things that you're grappling with. So I guess as a two-part question we can go into is like, how do you set those boundaries for yourself to make sure like you can still vibe with what you're doing and you're still pumped on it and you're still feeling good and you're taken care of? How do you set those boundaries? And secondly, oh man, I lost that second train of thought. 
Uh, anyways, yeah. How, how do you set <laughs> how do you set those boundaries? You know, to make sure that you're still taken care of when you're constantly trying to take care of other people. Yeah, um, you know that's been a tough thing, and uh, you know people will push push you to your limit as far as boundaries go in this game for sure. Um, I try to be there for every DM, every email, every request that I can be, but I, after doing this for seven years now, I've realized that. Like when I'm going to be that role and that leader, I'm going to do it fully and, and I'm going to answer every message and be there for every person who needs me. But then the flip side, when I step back and I need a break, that's it. I'm, I'm not, I can't answer your DMs. I can't be there for you. I can't, you know, mail you microdose capsules, I, which I don't do anyway, but I won't take care of you right now. I need to take care of myself. And I've, lost people to suicide when I've taken breaks and felt that weight, uh, that I should have just fucking pushed through. And, but it's not my fault. I, I, I know it's not my fault that this, this person took his life. It, I have done everything I could. Um, so I, I, I just set off time. It's important to block off time. This, this time I'm all in, I'm all out. I'm all in the hikes, the hikes that we do, you come to a hike, like you have my full attention, like whatever you need. If I, I bring a trunk full of stuff, if you need more than I've given you, I will give you more, whatever. But when I go home and I'm playing with my daughter and potty training and having ketamine blown into my face, I am not going to be paying attention to anything that needs to be uh, addressed. And then the other thing we talk about is comedy is a great boundary because comedy when you're healing somebody and having someone, you know, kind of bust up laughing when they're in their darkest moment can buy you some time to kind of reestablish the boundary that you need to with that person. So I, I do that as well. I really, I try to, um, you know, especially in person, just break the ice and make sure people know that I'm there for them. But when I'm not there for them, I'm not there for them either. Totally, totally. I remember the second part of the question that I wanted to ask, which is kind of a continuation of this. Dealing with groups of people, being part of the psychedelic community, you inevitably encounter drama. Either it's between you know someone who has an issue with you or two people in your community have an issue with each other. And we've seen it at all levels, right? Like at the smaller levels, regional, national, like probably international. It just seems to be a thing with people. How do you handle drama? You know, I, I really, I really admire your leadership skills and the kind of way I see things kind of move off of you. It's like things come at you, you they kind of, you know, they don't stick to you, it feels like. But, you know, what's your approach towards you have a tense situation, a conversation you don't want to have, something you did upset someone in your community or the broader community? How do you deal with it? Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, a lot of self-reflection and crying in the shower. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I just, I think I've calloused in that, in that way a little bit. Like I've, I've had so many people like come to veterans walk and talk and felt so great. And this is the, this is what I've been looking for for my whole life. And, and then I'm on one of my breaks and I'm not answering. And then I'm just the devil to them. And I, I, you weren't there for me. I needed you. And how could you, you know, do this to me and I need microdoses and things like that. And, you know, <laughs> It's not that I don't care. I do care. I care about everybody that I can help and that comes to Veterans Walk and Talk. But I think, I, like I said, just that that callus has built up that I've 
I've been through so much in my life with heroin addiction and an army and, uh, you know, fentanyl abuse and, you know, suicide and all that stuff. And then now all these amazing psychedelic journeys that like, once you get to a certain point in your confidence about your leadership, things start to, you know, roll off your back a little easier because you know, you're doing exactly what you feel is right. And as long as you know, that you're being righteous and truthful and honest, and you're not like, you know, just being shady to people, then they can react however they want to to you. And that is completely out of your control. So I, I try to remember that. And, um, and then, you know, that old block button on social media, that's, that's the other way. <laughs> totally, man. I think that especially as you work with more and more people, it's just inevitable that that stuff comes up. But I would love to see just in society at large, people take the time to do more self-reflection. I've been seeing these pictures because I'm doing this other podcast a little bit on the side about uh, cannabis, right? And I've been a longtime cannabis user. You were uh, mentioned you were involved with some cannabis reform or cannabis policy a number of years and before psychedelics. And of course you were in Afghanistan. A lot of people who have listened to the podcast know, but in case people are unfamiliar, you know, you've spoken about that extensively, but did you ever see any cannabis use either among the soldiers or the locals or yourself over in Afghanistan? Because that is a huge, huge center of cannabis production. Dennis, I'm one of the only people you'll know that has hotboxed like a $1.2 million military vehicle. So yeah, yeah, there was cannabis everywhere. And, um, I mean, literally everywhere. You'd be walking through fields and fields of it. There's pictures on my Instagram about it. And yeah, man, I mean, we used to come back to the tent, make tea, um, you know, steep the, steep the live cannabis in hot water and drink that. And then I got some hash from some, uh, some Afghani guys that, that were helping us out on the base one time and terrified to smoke it. But we went, in the, we went in a vehicle and did that. And that was an experience. You talk about paranoia, man, shit. <laughs> I remember I was just scared shitless, not of, I could be bombed at any minute. I could get in trouble. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. Why am I doing this? Um, but yeah, dude, like you see the, I saw, you know, fields of it and, you know, land races and amazing cannabis that, you know, it's, it's like the home of cannabis. Um, and it was, it was cool, man. That was, that was a really cool thing to see. I used to grab nugs off the plants and just, write live nugs or stuff them in my lips and chew them like tobacco. That's incredible, man. That is absolutely incredible. I figured there was, you know, it's uh, a lot of mythology and lore and history to cannabis in that region. And I've seen plenty of photos of U.S. Army troops and whatnot in fields of cannabis. So I figured you would, but I don't know anyone else off the top of my head who's hotboxed a $1.2 million government Humvee, which is pretty fucking epic. Although I do have some hotbox stories that I, I haven't dropped on the podcast yet for fear of, you know, the, the chain of events they might set off. But I'm familiar with hotboxing very unique vehicles in unique <laughs> locations and whatnot. So, yeah, there's, there's just, man, so much going on right now. And I'm curious, do you ever feel like you're like left out of the psychedelic in crowd. There definitely seems to be like an in crowd of like people who get, you know, the conference circuit, the speaking, the sexy podcasts and all that. Do you see that at all? That like, you know, not necessarily naming names, but like certain people get like selected for these. And I'm wondering, do you think any of it has to do with perhaps that you're not as like polished and, you know, maybe because you don't want to be as political as other people who are in a similar position with you as you who would, you know, happily stick within a very set context. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's, you know, I, I see a lot of that going on and I, I, I've been, I've been invited to every, you know, big event and it's really just a matter of logistics getting there with my kids and the fact that Veterans Walk and Talk is a nonprofit. I don't really use money from Veterans Walk and Talk to do things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see a lot of that going on and, um, you know, the psychedelic in crowd, that's a funny way to put it because, uh, you know, everybody's just kind of saying the same things and, you know, what I, what I, you know, look for when I'm trying to listen to someone about psychedelics is personal story. And when the personal story is profound, um, which is for me personally, that's when I'm at my best, when I'm telling my personal story of addiction and war and, and psychedelics, that's when I'm at my best. When I start pontificating on the nature of psychedelics and things like that, you know, it's, I'm just saying the same shit everybody else is saying that they should be legal and they should never have been made illegal and blah, 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 which it's all important points. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, I, I don't feel, I don't feel necessarily left out. In, in fact, I feel like I, considering how new I am to facilitating psychedelics, which is something that I do, I take 50 people out in the woods on mushrooms. I never, I, I never had any training. I never had, I never have been to these six week courses. I don't have any certifications behind me. I, I have life experience. And um, so I, I feel like considering that uh, and putting myself out there as an absolute outlaw, like here's my face, you see this face, you will get mushrooms, um, has solidified me within the psychedelic movement and put Veterans Walk and Talk at a, at a footnote in, in how the future of mental health will go and hopefully how the ending of violence and veterans speaking out against war will will go. That's that's the legacy I want veterans walk and talk to have is is um, a legacy of peace and understanding and acceptance. And um, that all that being said, I, I do I feel fortunate enough to just do this stuff and do you know the Oakland Hyphae events and 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 every event that I've been able to speak at and tell my story. And to that note. One of the things that I'm going to be doing more of is is exactly what we talked about, which is more of a performance based telling my story in a funny way, reading my essays, um, more performance stuff is around psychedelics, um, which is one of the things I'm I hopefully will make it this Sunday. I don't know if I can dig my way out, but uh, to with Reggie and Michaela, but um, given everything that I do and how outspoken I've been and knowing that what I do is absolutely not allowed. Uh, I think a lot of like mainstream psychedelic people are afraid to touch that. That's certainly how it's been with other veteran organizations within psychedelics is like, I've been like, let's work together. Let's work together. And they're like, wait, you give out free mushrooms What in like California? No, no, we can't be seen with you. <laughs> you know, that's not, you can't do that. What do you give out LSD to people you just met? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, no, no, no. Get the fuck out of here, Red Beard. You know. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I feel fortunate to be part of it at all. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with your assessment so far. It's kind of what I've noticed too. Is you know, you have to 
be quite polished to present in certain spaces, but I appreciate what you do because it's direct action, you know, and you're actually walking the talk right there, which I guess is probably the most important thing you can do. Now, something else that we had spoken about earlier that I want to touch upon is you were doing some really interesting work that I'm not fully sure what it was with brain scans and I believe with a DMT compound. Can you go into that a little bit? What was going on there? Are you still doing it? How has that been? Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't ask me to explain the science very, past layman's terms, but um, we have been lucky enough to partner with a, a church here in, in California that um, is able to practice 5-MeO-DMT treatments, uh, psilocybin and MDMA treatments as well. Um, so we've been sending a number of veterans through doing um, you know, pre-QEG, during EEG and after as well to read the brain waves and see what's what. Um, we've sent uh, about 10 veterans through so far. I myself went through it. It was the most profound psychedelic experience I've ever had in my life. I, uh, I did uh, MDMA in the morning, then 90 minutes of uh, psychotherapy. And then at the 90 minute mark, I took a booster of MDMA and 1.5 grams of Enigma mushrooms. And then for the next six hours was in, intermittently um, given 5-MeO-DMT uh, through vape pens. The vape pens start at level one, they move up to level six, and then a box vaporizer. So it's very slow progress until you have an absolute breakthrough. My brain was being scanned the whole time. Um, those results are, are on our website if you can make sense of them. However, with the FDA and everything, uh, we are going to be redoing all this research because um, it's, it's interesting, but the vape pens in which the DMT is administered is not really admissible for an FDA trial because it's so, uh, you, you, people cough or don't hold it in as long, it's not as controlled. So the next study that's gonna be done, I believe it's going to be with 5-MeO-DMT lozenges, which honestly, like I will try anything, but I don't know about that, man. I don't know. That scares the shit out of me because I don't know why, but lozenge just makes it, I don't know, more real or something. But um, we all the veterans we sent through that, the healing that they've received has been unbelievable. Um, a lot of integration. It's really, really fucking hard work. It's not for the faint of heart. You cannot just take any old person who's, in need of healing and send them through this kind of treatment. This is very serious stuff. Um, the other cool part about it is that we do the 5-MeO treatment in, in a large theater. Um, the screen is like the size of the side of a house, basically. And you're in a vibrational chair with, uh, with um, headphones and everything's sunk up, the light, the sound, the video, everything. And they slowly administer the 5-MeO and your brain's being scanned. In my opinion, it's tip of the spear. The facilitators are amazing. Um, and we're just getting started with that. So yeah, a lot of more veterans are gonna have access to this kind of treatment soon. That sounds absolutely epic. And very, very, very curious to see where that goes with continued research. Because that whole idea of brain scans and neuroimaging and psychedelic states, 
Super fascinating, right? And yeah, you're right, if you can make sense of it. So I'd love to see kind of like an idiot proof to like, what does this actually mean, right? Sometimes when you see data points and all that, it gets exciting, but it's like, what's actually going on here? We were talking about this before the podcast, but you're snowed in like a motherfucker right now, right? You are like completely buried in snow. What's that whole thing like? I mean, part of why you moved out there is kind of be connected to the elements. And now you've got a macro dose of snow. So you're, you're like actively trying to dig your way out, if I understand. That's right. I am snorting it up uh, one line at a time. No, it's uh, it's really, really crazy, Dennis. Um, we knew that moving up here would be, you know, a difficult at times. We had some snow last year, but we got about seven feet uh, in a matter of a couple of days. And the entire crest line where I live is unincorporated. So we rely on the county for things. So snow plowing and things like that has just been, you know, hit and miss. But my gazebo completely collapsed. Um, we've been out on the roof all day trying to scoop snow off the roof because it's starting to buckle over my baby's room, which is obviously fucking terrifying. And uh, it's it's more snow than we could have ever anticipated. My wife is from Cuba, born in Cuba, came here by way of Miami, um, and she is having the the full experience. Um, She's doing great though. My wife's a Navy veteran as well. She's a badass. So um, she she's been the kids have been helping. But I'll be honest, Dennis. Like doing this, I was I was like I can't do this today with him. Like I'm look I'm shoveling snow. I'm fucking dying. And then I was like, this is exactly what I need. I need to get on here with Dennis and shoot the shit and just have this moment because everything has been so fucking serious the last few days with this snowstorm. So, uh, yeah, I'm grateful for the levity, man. Hell yeah, dude. Well, let's finish on that note and talk about, are there any characters that you want to, like, pitch or do something with? I remember you had one great idea that I really liked about America's Next Top Shaman. And that was a while ago we talked about that. But, like, there's so many of these just fun little skit ideas. And I try to do everything in, like, an hour. It usually takes a little longer. But, like, very much what I've been doing is improv. And I know that, like, some days it's going to miss other days, it's like, I'll probably say something I could have been more careful about. But I think the principle of improv has been really therapeutic for me. And funny enough, the first time I ever, I've only been to a handful of improv classes, I think two. The first one I ever went to, they asked us, why are you here? And I said, well, because you're in my neighborhood and I was walking by and I saw you do a free class. So I want to check it out. And like, I think six of the 12 people there were referred by a therapist straight up. It was like, my therapist said I should come try improv. And it was, it's just like a really interesting way of doing things so that you know and then i'm reading a book right now and the comedian david steinberg he you know wrote for many shows directed many shows great comedian and one of the things he learned from second city which is an improv theater in chicago a lot of people will be familiar with is to work from the top of your mind just like okay you're in a scene you're doing something what's on the top of your mind so i, I find just tremendous therapeutic value in it it's like some people ask why did you try to make that point there? And it's like, really, it's just what's top of mind and I'm going for it. And I trust that process that like, you know, every day you're going to get better. You're, there's going to be value that comes out of it. So, you know, I'm just curious, like, are there any other skits or characters or anyone that you find yourself breaking out into that you want to develop a little bit? <laughs> um, you're making me sweat here, man. But uh, you're right about improv. My mother is, like I said, the director of the Groundlings Theater, premier improv group. I grew up around the, the yes and and the, the rules of improv, um, that's helped me so much within my own world of leading and and uh, doing what I do with Veterans Walk and Talk. Um, 
But as far as characters go, I would like to do America's Next Top Shaman, and I think that would be fucking hilarious. And just really, you bring like half of your characters out and poke fun at the whole scene of like, you know, having the the Navy SEAL veteran that's done ayahuasca five thousand and uh, five thousand times and has a poodle that he puts on your chest to calm you down, and um, <laughs> you know does does you know breath work with the poodle and. Like, you know, I don't know, blows Hoppe up, up his asshole and, you know, things like that. So, dude, you know, I, I would be more than willing to be that guy. That would yeah. be a fun thing I to do. blow Hoppe up my asshole. I'd do that any day. I think that'd be fun to do at a conference. Like, that seems like the thing, like, you film a scene, like, in a, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can uh, do more of this stuff, man. I think that, like, the stand-up game, I recently was very fortunate to MC Canadelic, and that was actually the first time I was doing, yeah. like, a stand-up comedy routine at an event like that, and it just gelled really well, and I really enjoyed it. So I hope to be able, and, you know, more of these conferences have been saying, like, there should be another element. Like if you go to a lot of these things, there's a, usually a track of like activism and of, you know, science, which are very important, but like maybe there could be a track too of like more pop culture. You know, I think for a lot of people, that's their entry point into this kind of stuff. Like you see it, you know, in a movie or you see it, um, I, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of room for like pop culture. Like I grew up reading Vice, you know, and like reading about these types of gonzo style journalism you did. Like that is very much in the style of Vice. And I grew up being like, yeah, I want to, you know, Kara Salek wrote an article about Ayahuasca, National Geographic Traveler. And I read it in like 2006 and it was total gonzo journalism. And that's the first time I had ever heard of Ayahuasca. And I remember it blowing my mind. And so I think that there's a lot of room for like in pop culture and, you know, music is another big obvious one. Maybe that's the last question we'll end on today is uh, what kind of music are you listening to these days? You know, I know you've got a very good taste. You've always got something going on. You know, what's really kind of scratching that itch for you these days? Yeah, thank um, I've been really into uh, Glass Animals. I love the band Glass yeah. Animals. Um, they're Great like, band. Yeah, that's like my go-to Um I've gotten into Monoskin lately. I think their their take on Begin, which most people have heard, that's what I'm trying to learn on the drums right now. Um, I've been really digging that, and I've gotten back into Primus, which people don't like Primus. And if Hell you don't yeah. like, if you don't I like, love Primus. Yeah, if you don't like Primus, then you're never gonna like Primus. But uh, yeah, I I've been listening to a lot of Primus, and I just want to say, Dennis, that like. You know, not to get all lovey-dovey here, but like everything that you do, man, with the comedy and the satire in this world, like it's so inspiring, bro. Like I, I have really felt that like bogged down, like not in my chest. Like you can't be funny. You can't be funny. This is serious. People are coming to you for their, their healing. Be serious. And you, you have really helped me to come out of my shell. And my wife and I talk about you all the time and like, look what Dennis is doing. Look what Dennis is doing. You don't need to be so serious all the time. You're the best. You're, you're the happiest when you're making comedy, Colin. So I want you, I just want to thank you for that, man. Cause it's, it's been really inspiring to see what you're doing and I'm a big fan. Bro, that means a lot to me. And especially that we have this ongoing relationship because as previously mentioned, when I first kicked this podcast off, I didn't really have a plan for where it was going. You know, I was just like, Hey, this is a project I want to do. I want, and you know, at that point, even talking publicly about mushrooms, there weren't a ton of people doing it. I just want to thank you for being a real person. You know, it's very easy to kind of play the game, right. And like mind your piece 
and cues and and not and, and walk on eggshells. And I think that you know, there's only so much of that a person can healthily do. I think like coming from that place of authenticity and vulnerability and guerrilla guerrilla action, direct wellness. Thank you very much for all that you do for the Veterans Walk and Talk community and beyond, man. And you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. So looking forward to seeing you and Cookie and everyone else in person in the near future at some point. Yes. I, we can't wait to see you either, Dennis. I can't thank you enough for everything, man. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com, or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Mycopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Mycopreneur Podcast.